You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Into our two-minute ministry time, and this is a time that we just want to continue to grow and um, and ask for your involvement in this time. We're we're asking that this part of the service would be given to three things: testimonies. Um, teachings, theological teachings that kind of track with where we're going in the sermon series, and then missions reports, okay, and opportunities to give to missions. We want that this time to be for that. And so maybe some of you don't know what I mean by a testimony. Um, it doesn't have to be telling your whole life story. I know that sounds daunting in two minutes, right? Like, how am I going to tell the whole thing of what God's done? But I think God's given us all multiple testimonies, right? Uh, maybe every week we have a testimony of, w- of what God has done or how he spoke to us, a word that he gave us that was just encouraging or an encounter that we had. Um, all of those things are fair game for this time. It doesn't have to be, you know, I was born at a very young age and then go from there. You know, it's, it's whatever is going on in your life, a current thing, and then share about that. And we want to hear from many. We want to hear from all of you. Right, so today we're blessed because uh, Barb Carpenter is going to come and share a testimony of something the Lord did in her life, and I'm confident this isn't the only thing, but this is one of the cool things that the Lord has done. So, Barb, thank you for coming. Thank you for asking me, and this is funny because I'm going to talk about being born. <clears throat> I'm going to start with being born. Um, I, <laughs> I was. Um, Much of my life was spent being bound in legalism, judgment, inadequacy, and fear. And I think that could be a result of maybe the way I'm wired. Some of it had to do with my family dynamics, the legalistic domination or denomination that my extended family was born into, and also I think part of it is the enemy's influence to hinder God's purposes for my life. Combination of those things and maybe others, but all of that affected how I saw myself. It affected my relationships and my ability to believe I could be in right relationship with God, even at a really young age. I would wake up at night and just be confident that there was no way I could get to heaven because I wasn't good enough. And grace was such a foreign concept to me for such a a long extended part of my life. Um, It was something I just didn't know about and couldn't grasp. Um, Salvation and acceptance of others was something I deeply desired, and I worked really hard to earn um, because I thought it had to be earned. Um, And judgment, part of that is because judgment was modeled to me in some ways, but it was something that I just really caught a hold of. And so I felt like that performance and outward appearance was the way to salvation and acceptance by others. And I'll tell you, that is really exhausting and always disappointing because you just never can measure up. Um, So it took a long time for me to find, understand, and accept God's grace in my life. And I'm so thankful for my husband because he was so patient with me. This was a struggle I've had into my adult life, even being a parent. And I've just had to beg God to 
um, make up the difference in the lives of my children where I did not extend grace to them and where performance and acceptance and image was something that was important. Um, so it's been a journey to freedom for me from legalism, from judgment, from fear. I've had to replace a lot of um, untruth, um, lies, and past experiences and the way that I perceived them with the truth of God's word. And that truth has absolutely helped to break the chains of legalism, and it's helped to extend God's grace to me and to others. So if you're struggling with that today, please know that there's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. Thank you, Barb, so much. Amen. That's the way that we're free, right? The Bible says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so this is a really important thing. Thank you so much for what you shared. And that's why we want to hear from all of you. If you have a testimony that you'd like to share during this time, please just come and talk to one of us, and we'll get you on the schedule. We just love what the Lord is doing in that time. And so with that, let's get into the Word of God today. I'm excited uh, for Pastor Bill to preach this message on being a life-giving church. And, um, and cool that our kids are learning about the Great Commission today. Um, so, so awesome to to hear that they're tracking with us in a lot of these kinds of things that, that we're teaching in adult group. They're learning those same things back there. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 today. And the Word of God says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is God's word. I have preached this message several times, and each time I preach it, I find more and more that I feel inadequate to preach it. Uh, one of the reasons I feel so inadequate, I think, is because oftentimes I find myself not being life-giving. And so I sort of disqualify myself because some of my story isn't unlike my wife's story and it's not unlike your story. And that's that a lot of us grew up in a performance-based sort of system and it was all about image and and looking good and doing the right thing and not ever really clearly measuring up. Um, And uh, so we we tend to evaluate and over-evaluate and condemn ourselves and shame ourselves and the enemy comes in and does all that kind of stuff too. And so a message like this can... In, in, on some occasions, actually move a person to condemning themselves. Please don't do that today, all right? That is so not what God intends for this day to be about at all. When I was in art school um, many, many years ago, um, we would have a drawing class uh, four hours a day, two days a week, and oftentimes we would find ourselves in various places in the city of Sarasota, Florida, uh, to draw. Uh, So we just had our sketchbook and our pencils, and we went, and for four hours we had to find a spot, and we had to find some object, and we had to to draw it. And numerous times we found ourselves in uh, a domed glass facility, and it was huge, and it had pathways, and there were all kinds of trees growing inside of this greenhouse 
if you will. And um, on those, the trees were not the piece, all right, the important piece of the story at all. Um, I'm going to be talking to you about two trees today, but trees are not the piece here. It was the orchids that were growing on the trees, and this was an orchid greenhouse. And so we would go in there, and there were literally thousands of orchids, and they were always in bloom inside of this greenhouse. And uh, drawing away, you know, but often like wandering away somewhere else in the process. And uh, one of the workers came by one day, and I just said, how do you do this? Like, how do you keep all these orchids so beautiful? Like, you know, my mom used to try to grow an orchid, you know, and she would go buy it at, at uh, the five and dime store. That's what they were called back in the day, all right? And, uh, but it was like a Walgreens today or something like that, you know, but she would buy these orchids, and three weeks later, they were dead. And she seemed to never give up. She was optimistic that one day she would find the right orchid and it would grow, but it never did. And so my experience with orchids were that they're difficult to grow and they usually die. And here are all these magnificent orchids that we are drawing. And I said, how do you do this? And she said, oh, it involves a lot of things. We keep just a precise temperature. We keep just a precise amount of humidity. We have filters that filter out some of the salt air that comes in from outside. And so we watch many, many different variables, and we keep just the right culture in here for these to flourish. And I remember the first time I, I heard a message about being life-giving. It dawned on me that a part of being life-giving is having the right culture, creating a culture, not settling for a culture. The world will give you a culture. The world will tell you the culture that you need to thrive and to flourish. But God speaks of a different culture, and God wants very much for you and I to flourish in his culture. And he has provided the precise things that need to happen and need to take place and need to be present for you and I to flourish. And one of those things is for you and I to be life-giving. That is an absolute essential and important part of the culture that we need to create so that other people can feel like that they can come to God and that we can present our message with validity and with integrity and with power. I want for the day to be every day that anyone who walks into Life Church for any reason, for any experience, any service, whatever, that when they walk in, they can say to themselves, all right, I'm okay here. I'm accepted here. I'll be all right here. This will be a place I can set, I can land, I can plant, I can flourish. And not one single person would feel that this is not a place for them. That is truly being life-giving. All right? And there are certain characteristics of that kind of culture and that kind of environment. Um, and I want to maybe talk about those a little bit today. But I want to help you to understand what, it, what does it really mean to be life-giving. You can have two churches in, a, in a, a city. They can both be of the same faith. They can be of the same stream, if you will. Uh, they can be the same denomination. Um, they can read the same creeds on Sunday morning. They can do the same kinds of liturgy. They can sing the same kinds of worship songs. They can do all kinds of things. And yet, they can be very, very different kinds of churches simply because one brings life and one brings death. And it's because of where they are living. And I want to try to explain that to you just a little bit this morning because what David read to you is that the Lord put Adam and Eve in a garden. And the Lord commanded Adam that he would tend this garden, all right? Uh, and 
that in tending this garden, that he was privileged to eat from the various trees in the garden. But then the Lord said, but there's one tree in the garden that I don't want you to touch, all right? And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. He says, for the day that you do that, immediately when you do that, you will die. Now, we know from the story that Adam and Eve did not die physically in that moment, but they began to die. And the immediate death was a spiritual death. They were separated from the Lord by their act of disobedience, all right? So what I want you and I to understand is that that same kind of situation, that same kind of culture, that same kind of spirit happens today when you and I choose to live in the wrong tree. When we choose to live out of that place of only the knowledge of good and evil as opposed to living out of that place of life, then we miss it. We completely mess the system up, okay? And that is not where God intends for us to live. So the same warning is for you and I. When we operate out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is a place where we are subject to death and not life. And I want to say to you and I that it is imperative that if we're going to be on mission for God, if we're going to serve God and, and be outreach-minded and outreach-focused and we're going to care about the people of our neighborhood and we're going to declare that we're going to be open and that we're going to be multicultural and that we're going to embrace the ethnicities and that we're going to care about one another and that we're going to live in this life-giving place, then it is imperative that we stay in the right tree. And we can't be jumping around. All right? We can't be playing in two tree houses here, okay? We can't, we can't go back and forth. We have to live in that place where God wants us to. And what I believe that can happen for you as an individual, I believe it also happens for churches as well. And so we declare that we are the kind of church that believes that Jesus is the only solution for our sin problem. We don't believe that there's any other solution. The, the Bible breathes revelation to you and I. It, it speaks revelation into our hearts and into our minds. And so theoretically, we should be life-giving. You see, the Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his son. So Jesus came. That's what we're celebrating right now, okay? The problem is that right now we jump into another tree called the Christmas tree and we get into consumerism and it's for me and it's all I want and we just stay there until Christmas is over. Forget everybody else. I don't care about anybody else. What am I going to get? What do I get out of this deal? What, what is for me? And we even start to approach God that way in our worship and in our prayers and in our service to him and saying, okay, what can you give me? What do I get here? And we get really consumeristic with God. Jump out of that tree now, all right? Get back in the tree that God wants you to be in, which is the tree of life. And so as a church, we have to do this as well. We have to say that there are certain fundamentals about our faith, and one of them is that we are going to be truly life-giving. Unfortunately, we've all probably been in circumstances or in church settings where it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel safe. And there was unwritten expectations or unwritten laws that had to be followed. Uh, you maybe have lived that in your family life somewhere where uh, certain expectations were made. The problem with certain unwritten expectations, whether it's in a church setting or a family setting or between a married couple or parents and children or whatever, is that the danger is that the bar can always move. The bar is never static. 
All right? And so expectations move up and down. And, and you feel like you have to perform based on whatever that unwritten law is that seems to be in place. The problem is you don't even know what that is. And some of you are wired for that. Like some of you, are, some of you would walk in a room and you would, you would immediately ask, okay, what's expected of me? <laughs> you know, if you're going to join a church, what do you want to know? Okay, what do they want me to do? What do they expect of me? What do I have to do to be a part of this? And what you're really saying is, okay, how do I have to perform to be accepted? And we want to wash that out. We want to get that out of our thinking and out of the system because that is the wrong culture. That is a culture that says you've got to perform in some way. You've got to do something, and doing something is what matters, not what God has already done. And so we need to come back to an understanding of what it means to not only be life-giving, but be able to benefit from being life-giving. All right? We want to enjoy our life together. And please understand, this is a disclaimer. This is not a message promoting mine and Pastor Dave's personality style. All right? We are from fun country. We love to laugh. We love to have a good time. We love to play. We integrate that into all of our ministry, all right? We, we are like that. I know not everybody is wired that way, okay? But this isn't about promoting our personality style over some other personality style. This is saying that no, regardless of what your personality style is, regardless of how you're wired, what your DNA is, uh, uh, about relating to other people, regardless of what has happened to you in your history there is a culture that we can create here where you and I and all of us together can flourish, all right? And we can have life and we can do life together and we're not pointing fingers at other people. We're not judging other people. We're not becoming victims of circumstances that have entered into our lives. We're becoming the recipients of the good grace of God that he has bestowed upon us by sending his son to die for us and to free us from our sins. That's where we want to live. We want to live in that kind of grace and that kind of place because it will affect all of your decision-making. It will affect how you relate to other people. It will affect how you see yourself. It will affect very much how you relate to God the Father. And all of this is essentially important for you and I so that we not only can flourish, but we help to create the environment for others to flourish as they are coming in. Are you following me here with this? This is extremely important for you and I to, to desire to develop this culture with one another. All right? Take it home and develop it in your own home. All right? This is a place where we're going to begin to do things as the Bible tells us to do them. Whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is good, whatever is noteworthy, and so on. Think on those things. All right? So we're going, to, we're going to actually begin to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading as the Holy Spirit convicts us of ways that we have not been life-giving. But we are not going to be shamed by that or condemned by that. We're going to learn how to lay that down so that we can relate properly to one another and be life-giving with one another. All right? So we can, we can take some honest looks at ourselves, hopefully, as we go through this. Let me give you a good example of someone who has done this. George Washington Carver was one of the, the greatest American heroes, in my opinion. Um, he exemplified a life in his day, I think, um, that was totally living in the tree of life. Uh, he was the son of slave parents. He was raised in abject poverty. Um, he could have been bitter. He could have been angry, and for a lot of different reasons. But he chose 
not to let the knowledge of good and evil infect his spirit or poison his heart and his life. He lived a life where he actually said, and he's quoted, he said, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. Isn't that great? That is powerful. All right? And this is how we are to live. All right? We, we never allow someone else's actions. We never allow outside peripheral circumstances to change us internally so that we are no longer acting as Christ would act. And so it's imperative that we live in the tree of life because Jesus said, now remember, God so loved the world that he gave, but Jesus said, I came. What did Jesus come to do? To, exactly, to give us life. What kind of life? An abundant life. Thank you. Yes. So God's intent in giving his son and allowing him to come to earth and, and to live and to die for our sins was for us to have a life that is marked by the terminology abundant. In other words, there's a richness to it. There's a fullness to it. There's a completion to it. And there can be other things that you could put out there as well. But God's intent is not that you live in a deficit of joy and peace and happiness and goodness. God's intent is that you and I are flourishing in that so that all of our relationships become more and more healthy and more and more rich and full with one another. And this isn't a command that allows you to pick and choose your relationships and, okay, this small group or my friend circle or my D group or my whatever, those are the people that I'm going to really flourish with and I'm going to be life-giving to, but the rest I'm going to fall back into that old system and I'm going to judge and point fingers and evaluate and criticize and do all those kinds of things. No. This is something where we create an entire culture as a church with one another. If you can't love each other, if you can't affirm each other, if you can't choose to think the best of each other, if you can't be happy in here with each other, you're certainly not going to do it out there. All right? I mean, if that's all you can do right now, just stay in here for a while, okay? We'll get you there. All right? But don't go out there doing crazy stuff and making Jesus look bad because you're claiming to be his and you're doing things that are wrong. You say, well, okay, well, that's law. No, that's not law. That's your heart being willing to follow Christ and what Christ desires for you to do to flourish so that you are spiritually fit and ready and holy and righteous to serve him and be a witness in, in the world and have power in your authority, all right? It's when you and I stand in here and point fingers and judge against the law and say it's only the law that matters. The law is what you need. The law is what you must have. And if you do the law, then you'll be okay. That's called performance, all right? That's what my wife was talking about. In legalistic circles, that's what you will find. People who are always measuring you up. They will have some kind of list that they are pulling out of their back pocket. It's invisible, but they shake it out, and it unfolds, and there's all those things that everybody should be doing, and if they don't do those, they're not okay. And the problem with that, with that is oftentimes that person who carries the list never allows the list to speak into their own life. All right? Because they, in some sense, out of their own desire 
to preserve themselves knows deep down that that law alone, the letter of the law, kills. All right? We are going to live in the Spirit because in the Spirit is life. All right? So that's where we stay. Now, the key to that is that you understand that the enemy is trying to come against you just as he came against Adam and Eve. His intent is to get you to believe a lie, just as Adam and Eve believed a lie. All right? He's going to come to you, and he's going to talk to you. He's going to ask you questions. He's going to ask you to think about things. He's going to try to twist and distort. He's a serpent. That's what serpents do. They twist and they distort, okay? And, and we have to see here that he's very smart in a sense, and, the, and I, the, the proper word would probably be cunning, all right? He has enough smarts to be cunning, if you will. And so his first response to Eve when he begins to talk to her in the garden is, did God really say? In other words, let me throw some doubt into this conversation. That's the first thing that the enemy would love for you to do is to doubt. Because if you start to doubt, then you begin to think about from a doubting perspective, it causes you to question. Questioning will cause you to become suspicious. And suspicion will actually cause you to judge. All right? And, and so the enemy comes in, and he offers this question. And it's the same question he will offer you today. Does the Word of God really say that? Did, did God really tell you that? Is that really what Pastor Bill preached from the pulpit? Is that really what the Bible says? And, and, and here's the thing. Let's be honest. We have conversations, whether we really acknowledge it in the moment or not, with the serpent. We do this. We, we talk, and we listen. And the serpent has these very cunning ways of speaking things to us that are all lies, by the way. He will take the truth, and he will twist it. He will change it a little bit. There'll be elements of truth inside of what he is saying, but anything other than the pure truth is not the truth. Therefore, it's a lie. And he is the father of all lies. So all of this, it isn't even coming from others. It's coming from him. He's just simply using humans as pawns oftentimes to speak things to you and I. And so a lot of our discussions, like Eve's dialogue, quickly get, in some way, they, they digress back uh, and that doubt becomes an opportunity for the enemy to, to come back behind that and say, oh, no, no, that's not true, just as he did with each. No, you won't die. Actually, Eve, what is going to happen is you're going to get knowledge. That's the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. When you get the knowledge of good and evil, you will actually be more like God than you are now. What is Satan saying? He's saying, Eve, I know you want to be like the Lord. And the truth is, if you do this, you'll be more like God. In other words, just doing this makes you better. Oh my goodness, that's the door in, folks. That, that's the way into this deception. Do this, you will be all right. Do this, you'll be closer to God. Do this, you'll understand better and more. And even Adam both, their intent, I believe, was to be more like God. 
But they listened to Satan and they listened to this message. And, and, and notice when, when the serpent is talking, he, this is what he's doing. He's appealing to Eve. He's saying, why don't you participate in this? Why don't, you, why don't you take hold of this knowledge of good and evil? He wasn't saying, Eve, you should rebel. Eve, become your own person. Eve, find yourself. Eve, do your own thing. Eve, go in your own direction. No, he's saying, hey, why don't you be more like God? You find a lot of people who are trapped in legalism. Down there somewhere, they will tell you, they will make a confession, they will tell you, we just need to be more like God. We need to be holy. We need to stand. And on the surface, it sounds good. But there is no love in that. There is no spirit in that. There is no life in that. It is, I've got a list here, and I need you to follow my list. I need you to obey my laws. And when you obey my laws, you will have done it. You will have arrived. No. True holiness, true righteousness, and identity is God is based in one thing alone and nothing else, and that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can work all day and do all kinds of things and, and be under all kinds of scrutiny and judgment and, and keep trying hard, but you're never going to get there by doing I'm only going to get there by a relationship, a deep abiding relationship that where you are drawn in by the Holy Spirit. And there you know God. And God knows you. And that's where you and I have to live. All right? I don't want you to try to be like God. I want you to know God. If you know God, you will become more and more like Him. But if you don't know him, all you're doing is setting yourself up for a constant downfall, failure, defeat, because you will never, ever, ever measure up. And so the freedom is in the relationship, not in the law. And so we stay in the tree of life where there is spirit, and we allow the spirit to take the, the truth, the word of God, and illuminate it in our hearts. See, I'm not telling you, I'm not advocating, please understand this. I am not advocating that you throw the law into the garbage. Absolutely not. If you love God, you will seek to be more and more like him. Everything in your life should bring you to be more and more like Jesus. All right? And that's a journey. We are ascending to, to the Lord. We are moving towards the Lord. We are going in that direction towards the Lord. And our lives are being changed and they're being transformed as truth and light is shed on us as we receive revelation of the Lord and, and his demands of Scripture. We don't, we don't cast them out. This is why when, when you as an individual are walking in sin, David and I are going to come to you. This is why we're going we're to sit down with you and say, hey, this is not acceptable. This is contrary to Scripture. This is, yes, in a sense, we are, we are bringing a rule, a regulation, a law, if you will, a commandment to you. But in the right culture and in the right spirit, it is born out of love and a desire to see you live a healthy spiritual life where you flourish in God. And this is why you're called to spur one another on in love, all right? 
We talk about discipline in the church and the pastor's responsibility and that in the elders. But you all have a responsibility with one another that you spur each other on in love. And that, that, that phrase there is just like the imagery that a lot of you uh, would put in your head. It is, it is like a cowboy spur, and it's like he hits that horse in that really tender, vulnerable place uh, right in front of the back hip, so to speak. And when he does... Before that horse runs, he shakes. <laughs> All right? It hurts. There's, a, there's a, a little jolt of pain there with that spur, and that horse shakes for a moment and trembles and then takes off. You and I sometimes have to touch the tender places in one another's lives. When we do that out of a care and a love and a desire to help one another, to build each other up, and to cause each other to flourish, and the truth of God's word and the power of the Spirit. And that's where you and I live. We live in that place. In other words, we are looking for the best in somebody. And when something gets said about somebody, we don't go there. We don't think that. We don't agree with that. We, we immediately say, okay, that may or may not be true. I don't know. But I need to find something good in that person. And that's where we start. We don't land there after scrutiny and evaluation and interrogation and whatever. No, the first thing I'm going to do is find something good to think about somebody, and I'm going to think that first, and I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to position myself out of that place. What good can I think about you? And then we do that with other aspects of our walk and our life. We do that in the context of the church as well. The enemy is going to constantly try to appeal to you on the basis of performance and merit in some way. You've got to discount that. You've got to deny that. You can't be tempted to fall into that place. All right? Even if you see that fruit and it feels good or, you, or it looks good to you. All right? Please understand, we're talking about things. Well, I remember when I was a kid and I was reading Bible stories, you know, it's like every Bible story I read for, for years and years. And I had the same Sunday school teacher uh, for probably a decade. We were a really small church, you know, and even though I progressed from, you know, uh, the, the, the preschool, uh, kindergarten, you know, elementary, um, same story. The story doesn't change. Unfortunately, the illustrations didn't either. There was Adam standing behind a bush, you know. There was Eve, long hair in front, you know. And there was the apple. I mean, I'm talking a lot of you right now thinking that we're eating apples. No this, no, this is about consuming something which is like a culture, like a mindset, like a principle, like a deception, like a stronghold that the enemy establishes in our mind. This is what the Bible says. You have to cast down every thought that sets itself up against the very nature and character of God. You have to do that. You cast it down so that it does not control your thinking or your decision-making or how you react or relate to other people. And so you begin to live in a place of flourishing just around you. <laughs> You, know, you start to make those changes that are necessary in you. And in a good system, when somebody who is tired of the old system changes, it forces change in everybody else. 
And so you and I spur each other on. We help each other to change. And, the, and we don't do that by judging and condemning one another. We do that by encouraging and challenging one another. And we do that out of the motivation of love, all right? And I know that you can get all kinds of knowledge. I understand that. You can get... Uh, and s- listen, I'm not saying knowledge is bad. Please understand that, all right? If, if you're sick, you go to a medical doctor because they have tremendous knowledge, And that knowledge is helpful. That knowledge is useful. If something goes crazy on my car, I go to the mechanic. I don't even think about fixing it. All right? I don't have that knowledge, but I go to the one who has that knowledge. I'm not advocating that knowledge is wrong or knowledge is evil. I'm simply saying be careful what you take in. And as we are are life-giving and as we are flourishing, folks. It ain't about an apple. It's about these mindsets and these, these, these principles, and, and, and we, we need to have a good understanding of who our God is, yes. That, that's the starting place. He's the creator. He is big, and he has created all things, and he is sovereign, and so he's at the top. You and I come under that. We come under the authority of the Father, And notice what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. It says that Adam and Eve hid themselves. Shame hit the world in their disobedience. And it says they knew that they were naked. See, over here it says Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were hanging out. They were naked. They didn't even know it. They were innocent. Just a little bit later, it's over here, and it says that Adam and Eve realized that they're naked, and so they hid themselves. They didn't know what to do about it, so they just hid themselves. But see, they had the knowledge of good and evil, spoke to them, the enemy shamed them, and now here they are. And they're helpless, in essence, so they hide. I have three children growing up. They would absolutely be mortified if they knew I was about to tell you this. <laughs> it's a good build-up, isn't it? You can't wait. <laughs> there is some point in our history where every one of my children, when they were little, ran outside in a public place naked. Mm. You know yours did, too. <laughs> Just, as we say down south, naked as a jaybird. Just free, just running around in the front yard. Never did one of them go in the backyard. <laughs> front yard every time. Naked as a jaybird, happy as can be, laughing like all get out. It's usually a neighbor calling saying, hey, your child's out in the front yard without any clothes on. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, when you go out there and you're not in the right tree, obviously, you know, get in here. What are you thinking? You're naked. Like they know, they don't care, they're innocent. It doesn't matter. But as my children got older, there were times when they would walk in the house and I knew, I just knew it's not right. 
Something's not right. It's not open. It's not free. They're not coming to me. They're avoiding me. They're hiding. What are they hiding? The key to the success of that moment is which tree I am in. Because if I am in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I want to just find out what you did. And I want to deal with it. And I've been there as a parent. So have all of you. Not a pretty place, is it? Or you've been the victim of that kind of situation with your parents. Not a pretty picture, is it? Okay. The Bible says Adam and Eve realized they were naked and they hid themselves. And then it says, and God came in the cool of the day. That's the best part of the story. Yet, though you were a sinner, Christ died for you. God came into the garden. Adam, Adam, where are you? We know God knew where he was. God knows everything. God's everywhere. But in some form, he comes down into the, the, the garden and he calls out to Adam by name. Adam, where are you? Because he wanted him. God didn't need to be informed where Adam was. God needed Adam to understand where spiritually he had become. And Adam says, we're naked, so we hid ourselves. And of course, God said, who told you that? What's happened? God's, God's not just going to sweep your sin under the rug, nor are we. But you and I need to understand that even though we have sinned, God has made a way. He has not stopped coming after us. And he keeps coming. And he keeps coming. And honestly, that's the Advent message. He's come. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. All right? He keeps coming. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. And that's the message that makes you and I missional. That's the message that makes you and I ready to go out there into the, 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 the neighborhood and beyond. That's the message that propels us to not give up seeking the lost because we understand that it is not God's will that any should perish, but all should have eternal life. And so he comes. He comes. And that is the foundation of a life-giving ministry, is that he never, ever condemns us under the law. But out of the Spirit, he draws us to him. And that's where you and I land. That's where you and I live. That is, that is so life-giving. That is so that, that frees us up to flourish. That allows us to have the ability to be renewed, not only in our mind, but in our lives. That allows us to have second chances and third and fourth. It allows so much when we live there. And that's what I want to say to you today. That's where you live when you live in Life Church. And you and I together will commit that we will create this kind of culture because this is God's heart, always, regardless 
He's coming after us. He's coming after us. Amen. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to have a gospel presentation and then a song. All right? Let's pray. Father, I just want to come to you now on behalf of this body of believers. Lord, help us that we are, we are ever running to you and not away from you. Help us that we can break through the shackles of shame. And, and I pray, Lord, that you guard our hearts from being legalistic and, and being demanding and being judgmental and being critical and all those things. God, give us a heart for you. Give us a heart for one another. Give us a desire to build up the body of Christ. Give us a desire to, to cause each other to flourish, to, to care about one another, to find the good in one another. Lord, help us to be a, a body of believers that, that want and desire life more than anything, life in the Spirit. And then fill us, Lord. Just drench us with the power of the Holy Spirit today that we are constantly walking in true life. Do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jeannie, come on up here. As Pastor Bill was telling the story about the orchids, it reminded me of when we were in India, and we took a weekend trip up into the Himalayan mountains to Darjeeling. And I was surprised when we got up there and we were walking around the village that there were all these beautiful orchids growing in the trees. And I thought about the orchids that Bill was talking about. And they were taken out of their element. They're put in a place that's not natural to them. And they have to constantly work and be worked to stay beautiful and to grow. But these orchids in the mountaintop were in their element. They actually grow on trees. The tree is their life. That's where they find life. And that's what happened in the garden with sin. We were taken out of our element. We were taken out of that place of nourishment and thrust into a place where we constantly have to be on, covered, work. But because God loved us so much, he sent his son to bring us back into that communion with him, to bring us back into that element where we are attached to the tree of life. And he did that through his son, Jesus, who came down, who became like us, became one of us for us. And he walked this earth and he talked the things that his father told him to speak so that we would know what it takes to be in that place of perfect union with our Father. But it didn't end there. He went to the cross. He died for us. He bled for us. He was beaten for us so that we could come back to that place and be reattached to the tree of life, to the element that keeps us alive and nourished and growing in his love. But it still doesn't end there because then Jesus was buried, dead, gone, or so we thought. But on the third day, he rose again to bring us back into the fullness of the Father, 
Now, if you've not heard this message before, if this is a place where there's that longing, that emptiness in you to be reattached to the tree of life, to the Father who loves you, um, the prayer team is going to come up, and I invite you to come for prayer. I invite you also, if you have any need in your life, if you need some prayer for healing, if you're struggling or wrestling with something, if there is something in this message that really just wrecked your heart, wrecked your thinking, come for prayer.